welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast, your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world, featuring the hosts, MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements. Captain. Why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? Player. It's just like a story chest of ideas. Toe Jam. Either version. I love both versions. Other special guests. Hi, this is Larry Grant. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Ricky Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. What's happening, Australia? This is Tony M from the New Power Generation. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is St. Paul Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Peach and Black Podcast. This is a uh, episode that we're recording fairly shortly after hearing about the news of the really unfortunate death of John Blackwell, who was a world-renowned drummer, and he was uh, not only dear to the hearts of music fans and to his family, obviously, but he was also very dear to us and to Prince fans around the world for his contribution to Prince's music. A little more than a little speechless, actually, uh, from my point of view, and I think the other guys on the show share the same sort of feeling. It's just really, really difficult. You know, we suffered the loss the untimely loss of Prince in 2016. And this is another really, really tragic loss for music uh, in particular, as I said, for the Prince community and obviously for uh, John's family and his his family and people that were close to him, his friends and, and everyone around him. Just a really hard day to take in this sort of news. We knew he was um, suffering for the last couple of years, it seemed. And uh, yeah, it's really, really difficult. So it's not not an easy thing to talk about, but uh, the four of us got together not long after hearing this really, really sad news. And we kind of all decided amongst us unanimously that we should come online and uh, get together and record a show. We're literally right in the middle of recording our Purple Rain Deluxe Review. And we're like, no, we've got to do this first. You got to do it. Yeah. I mean, it just felt like the right thing to do, as Captain said. And uh and that's why we're here. So I guess the idea is to to talk about what John meant to us as fans, as listeners, as people, and as music lovers, and, and again, as Prince fans, and also to uh, do what we can to honor him and celebrate his life, uh, even though, as I said, it's really, really tragic. I mean, he was only 43 years old, incredibly young to suffer such a really untimely passing, but... Uh, I guess it was. It was. A, I mean, it was a shock to everyone. But from the posts that his wife was that she put up on Twitter every now and then, it seemed like he was doing okay and he was getting better. And that's why this was more of a shock than if you know that hadn't been happening. But uh, yeah. she'd post like every at least about once a month, and it's like, oh, he's been moved to a, a different thing and he's improving and he's you know, and then just out of nowhere, this it's wow. Yeah, it, it was like a seesaw, wasn't it? I mean, we as fans and as the public obviously didn't have the intimate knowledge and details of what was going on, but you're right. Uh, Yuritsa, I hope I pronounced that well, can't possibly imagine what she's going through and what she's feeling at the moment. And we like to send our thoughts, prayers and love out to her and, 
everyone who uh, was close to John, in particular his family and uh, people that were around him in in his final months and days. Yeah, but it was it was a seesaw from the outside. He was getting better, and then he had a couple of hiccups, and then and then again, he was, it sounded like he was on the mend. And it's really, really, it's really, really heartbreaking. On a personal note, John was the first. I saw Prince live for the first time in 2003, and the first person that I remember seeing was John because we were at the sound check and he walked out before anyone else had come out. I mean, there were some sound techs, but John came out and uh, he was the first person part of Prince's band in a live setting that I ever saw. And he was walking around and talking to people and handing out drumsticks and all that kind of stuff. And then the sound check started. And for me, it was an incredible experience because you see, you're seeing Prince for the first time. But I walked away from that sound check and that show in Sydney, October 2003, thinking, who is this guy? Who is this drummer? He is Who like does an octop- that? Yeah. No, really. I thought <laughs> at the time I thought he is an octopus. I mean, he's got two arms, two legs, but it sounds like he's got eight of each. You know, he was just that was so- his like signature move where he just was twirling sticks all over the place and it was just arms flying. It it oh, looked so good. It was incredible. And the guy didn't miss a beat, you know, and I think that he's made such a huge impact on drumming alone. And then as a, as a musician in a band, you know, and, and uh, as a critical part of uh, keeping the rhythm, keeping, keeping the beat in, you know, arguably pop's greatest music icon, and that being Prince, it was, it was remarkable to see that. I remember the next day I was talking about how much I enjoyed seeing Prince, but one of the, the other two people that I spoke about were um, from memory, Maceo, I think, and John. And I was like, you got to see this drummer. I was talking to everyone. I was back, I think, in university, late university back then, and I was talking to everyone on campus going, you got to check out this unbelievable, unbelievable drummer that Prince has. And just the showmanship, as Captain said, he's doing all this stick twirling and everything. And I'd never seen that before, ever, even from mm-hmm. Prince's drummers. I mean, Sheila's, Sheila can play. I mean, Michael can play. But John brought an element of just flair and and style that I had never witnessed before. And ever since then, I, I've loved everything he's done, everything he's played on. And, you know, we, we all saw him in 2012 on the Welcome to Australia tour. And he just, he's a monster, monster drummer and a, and a great guy. We saw him backstage and he was hanging with fans. And, you know, he'd just given a two and a half hour show, probably exhausted from all the drumming that he was doing and sitting around talking to people, drumsticks in hand. That was another thing about John. He always had his drumsticks in his hand. Anytime I saw him. He was ready to go any anytime. Yeah. It was awesome. It was awesome. I was thinking earlier today, I was thinking, I think I think John Blackwell, you're talking about him being a great guy. I think he's possibly the, the most humblest Prince band member I can possibly think of. Like, yep. um, and just yep. there's, there's a lot of ego in musicians, like whether they're famous or just, you know, in the local scene. Like there's a lot of ego in musicians and Blackwell and even there's a lot of people who have a false, you have a false humbleness about them that appear mm. humble, but you know, underneath it, they're not. And I think Blackwell is from my impression, I think he was the most humblest Prince band member I've ever like seen and uh, like talked to and, and like in interviews and like, you know, he's a crazy monster on the drums, but then off the stage, he's like this really softly spoken guy, very polite by all accounts was very helpful to everyone. Like, was considered something of a teacher to the drummers that came after him. Yeah, it sounds like he's just a great guy. Yeah, and was, he was he he was quiet, wasn't he, off stage? Uh, whether it yeah. was in an interview setting or especially, I go back to that Welcome to Australia tour, the last show in Melbourne when we saw him backstage, and he was just so chilled and so laid back. 
and really soft. Like even when he was speaking to people, he was just really softly spoken. As as Joe James says, very polite, very reserved. Completely different from you know the showman and the uh, the showmanship and the technique that he put out on stage. And uh, yeah, I, I'm sure pe- people that you know you read now on- online, whether it's tweets or messages or the rest of it, and people are talking about interacting with him, and everyone is saying you know, the same thing. Remember that night? It was what the 30th of May, mm-hmm. uh, 2012. Now, MC, myself, and Toe Jam were sitting at one table. John was sitting at the table right next to us with a couple other people. I just now, remembered this, yeah. Now, I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but something funny happened. Can anyone remember? I think I, we omitted from saying it in a previous show, but I think now's the time. I, I think... That, <laughs> yeah, I can't remember either. Was that so the I, night I'm, that I'm, John like, stuffed up a cowbell intro to a track or something? I, yeah, I was going to say, I think something and happened I made a in comment the literally. I was literally sitting a meter from him and I made a comment and I can't remember what it was now. What I do remember, the only thing I can remember was John was we- backstage, John was wearing like a bluish turquoise-ish shirt and he had his drumsticks and they had like plastic tables set out for people backstage where people were like sitting and eating and whatever and just these really cheap chairs. You know, it was like nothing special, but he had his drumsticks and he was drumming on the table constantly. Like people were sitting next to him and talking, and he's like, right, I remember no. that. <laughs> he's like tap, tapping away. I'm going, holy shit! Like I'm watching John Blackwell tapping on a little plastic table backstage in Australia, and he's like, he's got still got that killer groove on a plastic table. It's crazy, and <laughs> um, and that was funny. And then yeah, I unfortunately the story's kind of going nowhere because I can't remember what happened, but it's possible Captain said something. It's possible that maybe Blackwell lost a stick or, or dropped a stick. It wouldn't be beyond Captain to say something like, "Oh, Prince is going to find you for that" or something. So maybe it was, maybe it was that sort of comment. Oh, do you like, know oh, what? I, you I think it, it was he, something he, like about, it was something about getting docked from mm. my memory. Yes, yeah. Be care- maybe it was like, "Be careful, John. You're going to get docked." It was something like that, and we all laughed like idiots. But I don't think he heard us because he didn't react at I all. I don't think so. I guess we can't really remember. But so- you're right, Captain. Something happened. And but you know, the yeah, weirdest thing about that whole situation was we were all sitting there. And this was after the show. And literally in the next room, you could hear Prince sitting there watching back the show, like blasting it. Mm. So we were listening like to the whole show after we just watched it. Yeah, we couldn't like, hear it. We couldn't hear it perfectly, but he was playing it back. Yeah. You could hear like the bass. There, um, there, there was someone there who was actually like a parent of one of the students I'd taught. And she knew Blackwell. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she brought him over to say hi. And she's like, oh, this is, uh, you know, this is Toe Jam. He, he teaches... Um, you know, my son or something. Um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I, like it was a pretty short conversation. But like, and also I remember in 2005, I went to a drum clinic and it was I went, afterwards I had my musicology tour book and I went up to get it signed. And like, you know, this was the first time I'd met a Prince band member. And like, I'm expecting this like really, you know, big, loud mouthed American guy to go, hey, give me that tour book. <laughs> you know, and he's just like really, I said, oh, hey, you know, great show. And I, I saw you last year on the tour or something like that. And he's just like really you know, almost kind of embarrassed by the celebrity aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, like you said, he was so humble. He was just this guy from, what, South Carolina? Was it South Carolina? I think Along so, with yeah. Shelby. Or yeah. Shelby's from North Carolina. One or yeah, the other. but they're both from Carolina, yeah. And, um, yeah, he was just this humble is the right word. He's not what you would have expected. And, no. and And John was a prodigy as well. Like... If I've got my facts straight, he had 
a virtually perfect pitch by the time he was in college. Um, he experienced synesthesia um, since very, being very, very young, which basically means he sees colors and blends of colors in the place of musical mm. notes or, or four musical notes, which is just remarkable. So he's got this innate ability and innate talent. Obviously, his, his dad was a drummer. The first time I actually saw his dad was... And this is going back to the 2003 concert, the first time I had seen Prince live and John Blackwell behind the kit. I think within a week or two, I went to Alan's Music in Sydney and I bought, and I'm not even a drummer, right? I was so impressed, so taken aback by John's drumming that I just wanted to see any footage I could. And, you know, Prince only put out live at the Aladdin at that stage. So I went <laughs> to this, I went to Alan's Music and I'm walking through and they've got all these educational DVDs which a guy like me would never, like, I'm not going to get any value out of that. I'm not, gonna, I'm not a drummer. I'm not practicing to drum. And I find this DVD, and I think I've still got it, John Blackwell, Technique, Grooving, and Showmanship. And I think it came out in 2003. And it's basically a drumming, like an instructional, educational video yeah. that he's put together. I wore that DVD out. Yeah. Like just watching him play, explain his, his left foot and his right foot technique, kick drum stuff, and... The way he does a stick twirling, obviously, his approach to how he learned drumming without playing drums. So he, he, you know, he talks about he was sitting on the chair and he would just, he would mimic playing a drum kit and a drum set, all this sort of stuff. And his dad's in the DVD at the end. And uh, yeah, he, he was just a master, you know, we could throw as many superlatives as we want. But I think maybe one of the reasons why he was so humble was because he was so bloody good, you know. He was just so great that he, he strikes me as the kind of guy that didn't take his gift for granted and always, you know, he was so focused on his on his playing. No wonder he played with Prince for so long, you know, on and off for like the better part of a decade. Let me uh, just go crazy. through off the top of my head some quick, I don't know, stats. You've got Bobby Z. He was there from about, about 80 to 86, so about six years. Sheila E was there from 87 to 89, so two or three years. Then you had Michael B from 90 to 96, so another six years. That's, pretty, that's Kirky, a pretty long stint. Then you had Kirky J from, what, 97 to... 2000-ish. Mid-2000. Mid Blackwell joined up with Prince, I think, around September 2000, and he was there for the next 12 years. If I'm not wrong, he was the well, longest the, drummer. Yeah, he... Well, he, came, he wasn't he there, Cora. Yeah. Yeah. So between 2005 and 08, he wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, so he restarted again in 2009. But still, but total, is he the longest? It's about seven. He would have been, he played for Prince probably for about seven-ish years. Okay. And so he, he still sort of played on and off in the last few years. Like he came back for the Welcome to Australia tour, like basically starting on the 2010 the 2010, the second leg of the 2010 tour, he changed the band, yep. he got Eater and Blackwell. Yeah, and 2011, 2012, yeah. From that point on, he had a few different bands going, and he, Blackwell was always kind of around somewhere, whether mm. it was Blackwell or Hannah, and um, I think there was another drummer that I can't fall off the top of my head at the moment. But uh, like Robert sort of Bruner was there for a very short time with Goucher. And, mm. yeah, and but then, he's probably, probably tied then, with... Um, he was around for Andy Allo's band and then Judith Hill's band. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, you know, who knows how much recording, unreleased recording as well, in addition to all the other stuff. But he's probably on on par from a length of time spent in Prince's total, band. Total time, he'd be he'd, yeah. 
He's up in the top one or two, yeah. He'd be up there, yeah. He'd be possibly around the Bobby Z or Michael Bland mark and maybe technically by, by six to 12 months, the longest drummer Prince ever used all up. So, you know, Prince, this is the other thing. When Prince is done with a musician, he very rarely brings them back. Uh, mm. Sheila's an exception, but you know, after the musicology tour, he, he was kind of out of it, out of Prince's band between 05 and 08. And then in 2009, he's back. And then once that, you know, it's almost like he bring, Prince brings him back and probably thought to himself, gee, why don't I ever let this guy? Yeah, I remember now. He brought him back for Montreux, didn't he? He got, because yeah. with the Montreux, he had the three bands going and he brought Blackwell and Ronda back. And then from that point, it was like, well, Blackwell's kind of back now. Yeah. And I think the first show that he did with Blackwell, in 2009 was uh, in late March for the Lotus Flower release party. And that's when he had those three bands that, that Dojam's three talking about. Three bands in one night. Yeah. Yeah. Then in Montreux, he actually, he decided to only use the NPG trio, which is uh, which was John Blackwell, Rhonda Smith, and Renato Nero. And you guys are going to have to cut me off here because I could talk about that band for hours and that performance, <laughs> which I've already done. So let's not talk about Montreux think, other than the fact think- that I think a lot of times on the show, we've always been talking about what's Prince's best band and it's always come down to it's either the, you know, 93 to 95 MPG or it's the, you know, the One Night Alone musicology band. Mm. Purely for like virtuosity, excuse me, and virtuosic, virtuosic, is that a word? (laughs) It is now. It is now. Virtuosic musicianship. There you go. I said it. Let's not forget that John started out playing with Patti LaBelle, which is where Cameo. Prince and Larry Graham, yeah, Cameo, uh, he, he toured with Justin Timberlake. He was on the, the Future Sex Love Sounds album, and I believe he was also on the DVD of that tour. He yeah. played at the 2008 Buddy Rich Memorial Concert, and he toured with D'Angelo and the oh, Vanguard. Yeah. Even here? Uh, yeah, that's right. At Soulfest in in Sydney, and and he was touring with uh, D'Angelo's band in I think 2014, 2015. He also had a short stint with uh, Bootsy and uh, Bootsy Baby, uh, Bootsy's oh, wow. rubber band. So I mean, this guy, you know, anyone who's anyone would want him on their team, so to speak. And they, yeah, they were every time John was behind that kit, man, it was like you basically got the best drummer in the world, so you can just do whatever you like. He could play any genre, basically. I remember he, back, when was that drum clinic player? Was it 2005 uh, or something? 2005. Yeah. It was the first time that I actually met Captain <laughs> was at that drum was clinic. It? Yeah. I remember um, walking into this auditorium. It was the Wesley Center in Sydney and um, yes, Captain was. was sitting there. And I sat next to him and I said, you're because, uh, you know, it was kind of like a, you kind of know people from online and stuff and. I can't remember what username you were going by at that time, but we kind of figured out that we knew each other and we sat next to each other and yeah. And we and we watched that clinic. It was really good. That was the second time I met John Blackwell. The first time was back in two thousand and two on another uh-huh. drum clinic that he did out here. And that was a that was actually a funny meeting because um again like Toe Jam, like he was like the first Prince band member that I ever met. And um he he had this cold. He had like he wasn't feeling well. And um he he did this drum clinic and then afterwards he was doing a signing and I bought that DVD that MC mentioned earlier and I took that with me and he signed it and I said, can I get a photo with you? He's like, yeah, sure. And he was sick, you know. So, um, yeah. like I put my arm around him and he put his arm around me and, you know, we had this photo taken and he turns to me and he says, uh, I'm surprised you uh, got so close to me. <laughs> and um, 
And I said, uh, that's cool, so long as you don't have bird flu, because this was the time when bird flu yeah. was, like, breaking out. <laughs> and I said, that's cool, so long as you don't have bird flu. And he's like, oh, hell no, you know. <laughs> so we had this, like, little moment, and it was really cool. And I was just, like, after that, I was just on, like, cloud nine. It's like, oh, my God, like, you know, because it was just amazing just to see him play and all this sort of stuff. So, And that was, was like, he- two months before the 2003 October tour. So he came back out again, and then I saw him again in one of those. There was a room like for the MPG club members between the sound check and the concert where you could hang out, and there was like prawn cocktails and all sorts of Ooh, um, fancy. food and stuff. And he was walking around and he was meeting fans and stuff. So that was the second time I met him. And then the third time was that 2005 thing with you there, mm. Captain. So. Yeah, because I, I think I got a photo with him then yeah, as well. And, I, and, and he signed I took the my. Photo. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you've got it. Well, I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick that on Twitter. And... It's funny that it's funny that you guys are talking about the drum clinic in 2005 at Wesley Center because uh, you were there. We didn't. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't know each other at the time, but I was actually there at that drum clinic. It was the first. All time three of us were there. Wow, that's hilarious. In <laughs> and 2005, like, what, four years before the podcast even existed. And I yeah. went to the um, I went to the Brisbane one as well. Like the same wow. tour, the same crazy run of crazy. clinics. And and what's even funnier is that uh, towards the end of that clinic, they started handing a mic around and they got people to ask questions. And mm. I was one of the people that asked the questions. <laughs> and uh, which is hilarious for you guys to hear because you probably have no idea and um, that it was me. And I asked this question knowing what the answer was going to be. So I planned my question. So I'm like, I know exactly what he's going to say. And, so this is the and there's a good, and yeah, and there's a good chance that based on this question, not only will he answer it, but he'll probably demo it. So yeah. I can't remember the exact words I used, but it was something along the lines of, Hey, John, you know, Rob, love your work. You're an amazing drummer. Uh, great seeing you with Prince in Australia. My question is on the recent musicology tour, because it was after the musicology tour, what was your favorite song to drum on? And could you play a bit of it? And he basically went, yeah, that's easy or something. He was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, it's Let me guess. shush. It's, it's shush. And then he's like, yeah, I'll play some. And, he's, and he proceeded to play with no other music around him the most insane drum part of that track, you know, just before Prince goes into his guitar solo towards the end. And it blew my freaking mind <laughs> that he could just pull that with no click, no click track, no music playing. He just played that from like muscle memory and feel and groove. And I'm getting chills on my spine thinking about it. It was insane to see that. It's an amazing thing to listen to. You know, it's easy to get emotional when someone passes away because aside from being a musician, he was a person, you know, and, and it's it's terrible to hear about this. But in addition to that, and it did, in addition to Tojab's point, I really... He, was, he just seemed like such a nice guy. And, you know, we talk about what a musician he was and what a brilliant player he was and all this sort of stuff. But he just seemed like such a nice guy as well. And in this day and age, those sorts of people, you know, I didn't know him, so I'm taking a gamble when I say this, but he just, he really seemed like a pure soul. Just a guy who just wanted to get out there and play music, play his ass off, meet the fans, do what he did best. And... That's the vibe I got from him, and you guys have made similar comments. You know, it's just really, really heartbreaking. So maybe someone else can take over before I kind of. Well, something else I want to say is um, 
I think Blackwell brought a freshness to Prince's music that was kind of lacking. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, you had from Emancipation, New Power Soul, Rave. You had these three albums that were kind of quite digital and synthy sounding, which is cool. Kirk Johnson. And, well, not to rag on Kirk, but like, you know, Prince was in that kind of mode at that time. And then even after that, you start having some of the, the Chocolate Invasion and Slaughterhouse recordings, and they're still in that digital MP3 yeah. kind of sound. And suddenly, to me, to my ears, I remember when, you know, this was my early years of being a Prince fan, the next thing you know, the Rainbow Children comes out. And that album was just like, oh. it just sounded, I remember listening to that the first time thinking, this is like so different to what I was expecting. It was like this fresh, yeah. organic the sa- sound. The sound of that album yeah. is just unbelievable. And Blackwell is a key part of that. And I think the majority of that album is basically crafted from Blackwell just jamming and drumming and then Prince constructing songs around the drums. So, like, for one of Prince's best sounding and, you know, obviously it's a controversial album in terms of the lyrics, but in terms of the sound and the organic sound it has, like, Blackwell is a massive part of that. I just want to go back to um when John was doing that shush drum thing at the drum clinic. The most amazing thing about him just playing that was there were literally probably not even 50 people in that room. Mm. It's not like it's a concert with, you know, 10,000 people where you expect to see, like, something like that. It was just in this little room. There were, like, rows of, like, six seats and about five deep. It was just a tiny room. And to see him literally two metres in front of you and do that was just insane. It was, it was, it was crazy. crazy. It was ab- absolutely crazy. And what a great time as well, you know, um, just being in that room now. I mean, I know we're talking about a drum clinic, but it was more to that. More to that for a what? Prince fan and more to that for a person who, as you, as you said, Captain, like seeing him live in the flesh with no flashing light. Like you have to remember, this is like a little conference room. There's nothing yeah. musical about it. And he turned it into like a concert stage, just purely going, based going to... on his talent. And I got the feeling that I was the only person there that was like there because I was a Prince fan. And that I got mm-hmm. the impression that basically everyone else in the room was there because they, that were, they drummers. were drummers. Yeah. And they'd heard about yeah. this Blackwell guy. They'd, they'd read about him in magazines and they'd seen the instructional DVD or whatever. And I remember there was like a, a father with a son and all this kind of thing. And I remember he's talking about playing The Everlasting Now or something. And he's doing the example of that. And I remember just sitting there kind of thinking like, just like ready to explode. Like if there was another Prince fan in the room, I would have been like, can you hear that? He's playing The Everlasting Now. Yeah, like, yeah. (laughs) But I had to keep it in, just like. (laughs) And and I think at the, the, if I'm not mistaken, at that drum clinic in 2005 in Australia, John spoke about how that song came about. And he said, oh, Prince kind of had this idea. And then I I got behind the kit and I started playing this beat. And he's, any this kind of half Latin beat, and he said, "Oh yeah, that's it, that's it. Keep keep playing that. Whatever you're playing, keep doing that." And then the song kind of evolved from what John was doing on the drums. And so, you know, he hears stories like that as well. And so, the contribution that he made to Prince's music was to Prince's mm. sound, to the sound of Prince's music, I guess, especially Can't on be... Rainbow Children. Mm. Like that was really oh, yeah. a, a collaboration album between him and Prince. Mm. You know, in sort of no other way that other musicians have you know previously you know it's either a full band or prince doing it all himself you know Mm. can you think of another prince album in which a single individual has had as big an impact on the sound of of an out of a prince album i mean the only thing the only thing i can think of is is uh purple rain through to parade wendy and lisa Mm. without a doubt but yeah and i think their influence was probably bigger but one person um oh you could argue not a musician, but you could argue Maite on the Symbol album as an influence. Yeah, I in guess. In a way. Yeah. Not, maybe a musical collaborator in yeah. that kind of voice. Sense. Oh, yeah. hang on. Finger Symbols count, man. Come on. 
<laughs> I mean, one person, that's pretty tough. Someone's got to roll those quarters. You know, someone's got to do it. <laughs> it's pretty tough to think of one person, actually, Toe Jam. Um, well, I still think Wendy and Lisa overall have probably had the biggest effect on his sound historically, but yeah, it's hard, it's hard to say, isn't it? Probably Eric Leeds is the only other person I can think of that did something to Prince's sound that Prince himself could never do. Yeah. But, but I mean, look, who, who are we talking about? Wendy and Lisa, Eric Leeds and Maite. Like, that's a pretty small <laughs> group of people that we're putting him into. So clearly his, his influence was, um, not his influence, his contribution to Prince's sound was very unique. Anyway, I don't want to keep talking about this drum clinic, but I almost didn't go. <laughs> I don't remember why I went because it's not something I would normally go to at all. But it was only like 15 or 20 bucks and I'm like, ah, why not? And I went and it was great. But um, I almost didn't go. That's all. Yeah, I mean, what else? I'll just finish by saying, um, you know, my day job is an instrumental music teacher and part of that includes teaching drum, like beginner drummers and some drum kit stuff. You know, kids are always like, you know, play me a beat, play me something, play me like the hardest beat you can. And I've got like five beats <laughs> that I, you know, drum beat. And one of them is the Everlasting Now. Like, obviously, I'm, I'm doing it at a very limited level compared to Blackwell. But like, mm-hmm. I like to think that, you know, and kids are like always their eyes just spark up when they see someone playing a drum kit. And I like to think that, you know, part of that is being passed on in some, even in some diluted form. So, Playoff, <laughs> <laughs> any other comments about John? Uh, he's just like an amazing player. And like, you know, he's from that funk pedigree where, you know, he learnt, mm. you know, the bands, he knew Prince's background, you know, he knew Cameo, like Larry Graham, like he knew where that music came from and applied it in his own way and he like took it to the next level like he, he had that showmanship so um yeah he's he's going to be greatly missed because um you know he it's just fantastic drama i'll just say something toe jam said something to me before and very similar thing for me excluding the piano and microphone shows which didn't have a drummer excluding those shows eight out of nine times that i saw prince play blackwell was the drummer wow <laughs> <laughs> and to, and for Toe Jam, every all show, them. all of them. So this uh, is, let me I think, think about me. You've seen him every, a fair few times. Every, you saw Third Eye Girl. You saw Third Eye Girl. You saw Third Eye Girl. Yeah, every every show I saw outside of uh, yeah that Montreux 2013 thing, three night stint. Yeah, Blackwell was the drummer. Yeah, I think this is why this is more of a big deal than if it was someone else because we've all seen him like several times and. For a lot we've of people, we've all met him. And for a lot of people, it is it is the only drummer that they've seen play with him. Yeah. I mean, if you saw Prince any time between 2000 and 2012, most By likely chance you, you saw were listening him. to him. Yeah, very, very good chance that you saw him in some of Prince's greatest performances were. as well. Yeah, it's crazy to think of some of the incredible live recordings that he's on. And I guess that's what we take away with us, isn't it? Like, I was having this conversation with someone earlier today who's also a massive Prince fan and was utterly heartbroken by the news and um right at the end of it i can't remember whether it was me or whether it was him but one of us said you know the the one i want i don't i can't even say positive but just something that just is and it's a fact his life and his life's work we get to enjoy and people around the world get to enjoy and share and and partaking as listeners every time we put on a song that he played on every time we watch a video performance or listen to a live performance that he was a part of i think there's something to be said for that and uh, he's left an incredible yeah. legacy 
you know, on that the on the mu- music world. for sure. Yeah. Even though yeah. he's not here. It's the same with Prince, really. Mm. Not here anymore, but we've still got so much that we can listen to and still enjoy as long as we're still here. Yeah, that's the incredible thing about music and about musicians is that when they leave behind this sort of legacy, it's there forever. You know, it, that I know it sounds cliche, but that never dies. And it's, it's the one thing that is... Um, you know, we can all honor him by and remember him by and keep his spirit, keep the spirit of John alive, just like we do with Prince. So, yeah. So Sorry, someone was going to say something. Now you've you got to get all the kids to go and start playing drums. That's what has to happen now. We'll go and get that DVD. There's two DVDs that he put out. And if you just watch them, they're just like, even if you're not a drummer, they're just amazing to watch. Yeah. I think he has and to put out a solo album as important. well, which I think was called... Um, Forever Gia or Four Gia is um, forever. forever. Yeah, it was Forever yeah. Gia. Yeah, that's a cool album too. If you can track that down, man, cool album. That album is smoking fire. I think it's the only solo release he put out. I was listening to it yeah. earlier today on Tidal, and uh, man, oh, it's on, it's just, on there, is it? Yeah, memory, everything like is. The, um, it's 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 an amazing it's record. The Letterman Band, yeah, the Letterman oh, yeah, Band. That's it. Yeah, but the incredible thing about most dangerous that album, band in the world. <laughs> most dangerous drummer in the world but uh the incredible thing about that album is that th- there's not a single stinker on it like yes he only released one album under his name or is under the john blackwell project to be precise but everything on there is is just great and my favorite track off of that album by far is a song called sexual harassment if you have not heard <laughs> john blackwell project sexual harassment listen to that and have your head blown off. It's just absolutely brilliant. His drumming is out of this world. Like literally like an alien playing, you know, crash cymbals and hi-hats and kick drums, double kick. It sounds like quadruple kick in in the case of John. But uh, yeah, what else can we say? It's a massive loss. We're going to feel this one and we are feeling this one really, really deeply. Just want to quickly go around the, the room and ask you guys for one last thing. Just straight off the cuff, off the top of the dong, as they say. Favorite John Blackwell memory, Captain. Oh, jeez. Probably the one that you said. Playing shush in that tiny room with very few people and just that that was loud because it was literally right in front of you and he was just going off. That's that's what I'm going to remember. And also 30th of May in Melbourne sitting right next to him and just being idiots in that room. That was that was fun. I'll remember that too. Fantastic. Toe Jam, favorite John Blackwell memory? Uh, I think the first thing I think of is like the Everlasting Now. And I, I remember like uh, waiting for it on TV. Like I had the comedy channel at that time. And I remember like anticipating, oh, Prince is going to be on uh, Leno. Uh, you know, at that point, I'd, I'd, obviously I'd seen enough. I'd seen a lot of live Prince stuff, but I hadn't seen much recent stuff of his, you know, most recent un- incarnation of the band. And then I remember waiting for that to come on. I remember it came on and I'm just like, you know, the look of everything and, you know, it's all at, at the center of all of that is this guy like with arms flailing and he's got a <laughs> gray suit and it's just like pumping out this insane beat over this funk workout. Like that, that's what I think of when I think of John, John Blackwell. That performance, though, that Everlasting Now on yeah. The Tonight Show is just unbelievable. It's, yeah, that's my one, of the, it's one of the best. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I mean, as much as I agree with that, as far as playing Everlasting now, as far as Blackwell playing that song, my favorite performance of that is, and you guys might remember this, is the time that Blackwell played the Everlasting Now on Good Morning Australia. I watched that. I believe, that, <laughs> I believe there's a YouTube clip out of that. Watch that and keep an eye out for the last 30 seconds. 
tell me that is not the craziest, most... I, I, I haven't got words. It's just so <laughs> freaking cool. Right at the so end of it, he like, cool. right at the end, he turns his back and throws the stick behind him, so back towards the camera, and it almost yeah. hits Bert, like <laughs> on the way through. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't. If it took his wig off, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, hilarious! But yeah, it, that's a, an amazing YouTube moment. You got to check it out. Everlasting now. Good morning, Australia. Have your head blown off? Fantastic memory, Toe Jam. Uh, I'm player, not sure if I've ever even seen that. You're kidding. I don't know. I don't think so. You're kidding. For it's a guy not like that an loves having his thing, head... is it? No, but for a guy that loves having his head blown off, uh, I'll find you, it. You've got to check this out. Yeah, I just remember that. Player, what is your favorite John Blackwell memory? Just the showmanship and the stick twirling and just taking drumming to another level and breathing, for me, life back into Prince's music, like taking it to another direction and it was organic and rest in beats, John. We miss you. Mm. All right, all right. My, I guess, favorite John Blackwell memory is it is from 2009 Montreux. Obviously, people know how much I love that performance. There was a greatest, greatest live performance I've ever seen by anyone. And it wasn't just that Prince was on another level. Renato, Neto, Rhonda Smith, and most of all, John Blackwell, who put on possibly the greatest drumming display I've ever seen live. And one of the greatest drumming displays possibly ever. He was moving seamlessly from, from genre to genre, from R&B to pop to jazz, fusion, funk. There was plenty of rock in there as well and never missed a beat. Drum solos were amazing. And I think out of that, those performances in 2009 at Montreux, my favorite John Blackwell moment is at the end of a song called She Spoke to Me when he's doing a solo and at the end of his solo, he's standing up, gets up off his little drum stool. He's standing up. He's stick twirling while he's standing and hitting the cymbals yeah exactly what players said the sticks are somehow hitting the cymbals while they're being twirled in mid-air he's still kind of half catching them then letting them hit the cymbals again and by the end of it sticks are thrown back into the audience everyone's mind has been blown prince is audible at the end of that song he's Ah. he's cracking up you can actually hear prince laughing and he's laughing not only because it's an incredible moment but he knows just how special it is to be so close you know even a musical icon like prince to be so close and in that moment he's prince is having the time of his life because blackwell is having the time of his life and blackwell in that moment for me is this is why it's my favorite moment was he was in such a state of flow and he was often when he played he just got into this zone and when he was in that zone he was literally the greatest we miss you. As Player said, we really miss you, John. And thank you for the memories. Thank you for everything you've you've done as a person, as an individual, as a musician. And uh, just to close everything off, once again, really big, heartfelt well wishes to John's family and everyone who was close to him. To quote Player, rest in beats, John.